Michelle. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Good. Thanks for jumping on the Zoom. Yeah. What's up? I haven't heard from you in a little while. This is uh, kind of out of the blue. Yeah. I'm a little behind on the podcast production and Jessica is in Mexico or something on vacation. So I just thought sure. you're, you're kind of like my original Jessica. You were my boss at the last company I worked at. And then Jessica hired me at this new company. Uh, so I thought, what better person to fill in as guest host? Yeah, I mean, I guess rather than exotic vacations, I'm hanging out here with my six-month-old little one, Nico, and uh, he needs some more entertainment. So this sounds like something to have some time. Perfect. We're in. Awesome. <laughs> so we've got you and special guest, baby Nico. Yes, yes, baby Nico, who probably will interject throughout the episode. So it should make for a little bit of excellent content. If I wasn't a celebrity, would you be so nice to me? If I didn't have cheese like every day, would you still want to be with me? If I couldn't buy you diamond rings and all those other expensive things, would you be so into me if I wasn't a celebrity? Lately. Welcome to Jessica Interviews Matt about celebrities that he's encountered. I am not Jessica. I am Michelle Albon, who formerly was Matt's manager and am currently sitting in a beautiful lounge chair in New Zealand where I'm on maternity leave, really truly living the dream. When I'm not on maternity leave, I'm inventing concepts that I like to call companies, but I haven't really figured out what I do full time yet. So anyway, podcasting might be my new thing. My yeah. guest today is Matt Houchin. Matt, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 nothing else is planned it's just up to you uh, what celebrity <laughs> do you want to talk about you gave me a scratch list of all these different celebrities you've seen and with the small age difference between us I actually had to google a few of them so the difference <laughs> between me coming into my prime in the 90s versus you in the 80s is actually a significant leap in I guess celebrity degrade for sure but uh there's right. also some very random celebrities I've encountered. Maybe you've encountered them. Have you ever encountered a Christian rock band called Switchfoot? I have never encountered Switchfoot, but uh, mm. my friend Ross used to have a Switchfoot poster in his dorm room at college. Really? Okay. That's how I first There's heard of them. What made Ross like Switchfoot? I don't know. They're, I guess, uh, are they kind of like a Christian group, but not like a lame Christian group? Yeah, like... So where I grew up, the, the one of the guys in the band was actually in like the local church's band. And as a teenager, it was like the cool thing to do was to go to that on Thursdays, whether you were Christian or not, you just show up and try to oogle in my case at the drummer because the drummers were always like the hottest person. So you'd be like, what are we doing on Thursday? And you'd be like, let's do a christian concert and then switchfoot was just way cooler than like every other band who played yeah. and uh, i remember when they first got famous and like so many people in my high school were trying to be in like battle of the bands and they were one of those like oh hey remember when we used to go see those guys on thursdays so that's my like claim to fame growing wow. up in southern california what's their best song Switchfoot's best song? Oh no, now you're putting me on the spot. But you actually got to meet them. I mean, loosely, yeah, yeah. Like afterwards, you know, we'd go and be like, "Hey, how's it going?" And they'd be like, "Thanks for coming." Yeah, so, I, I I would imagine a Christian band has to be really friendly. Yeah, they they were pretty they were pretty good about that. That it was like they weren't famous, you know. They were just there to like spread the good vibes. And so when they did get famous, they were always pretty down to earth. Did you ever think that you would become famous? You know. I made a lot of lists when I was little about things that I wanted to accomplish in life. And um, I always said I wanted to write a book. And huh. I thought that maybe that book would come with a speaking tour and that would make me somewhat famous. But I also said that I wanted to travel around the world. So maybe that was like, I thought I'd go on tour through like a book deal, but that's about okay. as much 
aspiration as I ever had. I mean, what about you? I feel like you already have a lot of the bones of being famous. I know you like interview people about celebrities they've met, but you are like semi YouTube famous. Uh, yeah, I, I had a little taste of fame that, uh, that was crazy and has ruined me ever since. Yeah. What happens when you have like a moment of fame? Cause I always like, I always said maybe I'd have a moment of fame, but then I never really took creative risks big enough to allow me to do it. Whereas I know you have, you've actually taken the creative risks that have like propelled you into the spotlight of, you know, the, the general public, which is a scary place to be. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, as a kid, it was always a pipe dream to be a performer or be an actor and to get famous in that way. And it was, it just seemed like the coolest thing to act for a living and like be a movie star. That was just the, the dream. But in college, I was like way more realistic. And I was like, I'm just going to be behind the camera. I'm going to be a film major. And then after college, just my goal was to go to LA for a little while and then eventually move back to Minnesota and start a, my own production company after I learned how things work. And uh, I did that by like age 25, I was running a production company in Minnesota after having been in Los Angeles. And I didn't really, I, I was just like, all right, cool. This is going to be my life now. And, uh, and then <laughs> that like from Los Angeles to Minnesota and being like, cool, we're going to do production in Minnesota. Like what's the, what are the overlapping things that are similar about both Los Angeles and Minnesota for having a production? Oh. Company? Uh, well, not, I, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I, like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was just a PA and uh, a production assistant in Los Angeles. So I was stocking the fridge and like running errands at a reality show production company. And then I basically lied in an interview to get to start this production company with someone else's money in Minnesota. So essentially and you Know what you were doing is the overlap and I, I had no idea what I was doing I just was like if somebody else is gonna do this why not why wouldn't it be me so <laughs> like I can figure it out and uh and luckily I did but I was like when I accepted the job I was physically ill like I, I was thinking what did I get myself into I have no idea what I'm doing um now I'm like dealing with budgets and having to order equipment and I don't I've never like the guy thought he just heard that I worked on the show American Chopper, uh, <laughs> which is true, <laughs> which is a true thing that happened. But uh, on my paychecks, it said American Chopper and other TV shows. But my only experience was stocking the fridge and running errands and getting yelled at by producers, uh, so moving, moving their cars in the garage. Like when you first did a viral video. Like when you went from basically just being in your head a straight imposter to actually producing something that people watched, like was that super impostery? Um, no, uh, the because I was so when I was this production company and I, I was making TV shows, sports TV shows, and then a friend and I would just get together on weekends and we'd produce these funny sketches just for ourselves, and we didn't expect them to go anywhere. We were just doing it for fun, and then like college humor was a thing and then YouTube was starting and uh, Funny or Die was a, a big comedy website at the time. And we just posted our stuff everywhere. And then we had this Nickelback video that uh, got, a lot, got us a lot of attention. Seriously, I remember being like, okay, is this guy actually interesting or is he just good at editing? Cause like he checks the boxes for knowing how to do the job I'm hiring for, but I don't know, like, is he going to get along with the team? And then I found that video, that, look at this photograph. And I was like, I need to do absolutely everything that I can do to hire this person. That is oh. what sold me hiring well, you. I wish I had known that, then I wouldn't have been so stressed out for my interview. Uh, if I knew you, you were already going to hire me. Well, I mean, it kind of sounds like whenever you do anything kind of big and creative and risky, there's always this, I don't know, like I always call it productive stress, which is maybe not true, but like every time I'm about to go on stage or like do a really big meeting, I always have this like energy that to me could be branded as stress, but that I choose to believe is just almost like my like superpower coming out like okay yeah this we got to show up and like that's how I see it I don't know about you yeah you kind of need that adrenaline to get the performance 
Yeah, I guess that's probably a less mystified way. It's the adrenaline <laughs> system. You're like, is this a bad idea? Um, when you say risky, what do you mean? Like vulnerable, creatively risky. Like, I don't think that going out into a mass audience and putting yourself out there comes without a risk to your sense of self because if you are sitting there going oh my god am I going to do something dumb are people going to judge me it's like you have to turn that part of your head off every time you do something truly creative because otherwise you're going to curate yourself is kind of what I think I don't know do you agree with that so even putting out uh, a video that you think is funny out on the internet you would think of that as a risky or vulnerable thing yeah, and I think probably one of my favorite things about, um, I mean, you definitely and people that I have worked with who have um, a lower bar to their kind of creative self than me is that I have this little voice in my head every time I put something out there that I go, is this good enough? Like, is this actually a true expression of my creativity? Like, if I put something out there, is this going to define me? And I'm almost like one of those perfectionists where when I create something, I really, I need to make sure I'm happy with it or I don't want the world to see it. Whereas I really envy creatives that just create and you're one of those people so maybe our experience is different that when you're creating you know you you're happy to paint with a wide palette whereas I create silently in a little corner and then eventually go okay here world here it is and then I sit there and go oh god is this good enough like somebody criticize it like I definitely I have a struggle with creative process yeah that's interesting maybe I'm just crazy and I I hadn't like consider the risks of putting myself out there into the cruel internet um, to be made fun of. I think it's a healthier way to be, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's not, I guess it's not like mentally safe necessarily. No, but like, is there such thing as being totally mentally safe and super creative? <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> He's loving it. And let me hand him off to Sean because I think. Chris... Hey, Sean. Sorry, this is going to make some good editing. Sean, hey Nico, you know what you get to do? You get to go hang out with Dad because Matt and I are having a pretty cool conversation. What do you think? Welcome to the planet. Welcome to existence. Everyone's here. Everyone's here. Everybody's watching you now Everybody waits for you now What happens next? What happens next? As we were. Yeah, I, I just think that there's a lower bar to entry nowadays, I think, to creating publicly than there ever was before you know you used to if you wanted a stage there was so many layers that you'd have to go through and get the mic and now it's like I mean you can go out on any platform and the concept of being a content creator is very very low but I I think in that way it is still really hard to create authentic content so like a lot of people are like, cool, I can, I can express myself now, but they still feel like they need to be curated. And to me, my favorite thing is people who just kind of do, they just put stuff out there and they don't care. And I think that that's yeah. actually a very unusual quality. I think you're one of the few people I know who just genuinely likes to create, to create. And, and that's important in the world. Yeah. Thank you. I think I was lucky coming up before this time now where just everybody's putting themselves out there and I think now people are like what's the hottest trend or like what should I put in a video to like get the most viewers um what's gonna go viral and my friends Ross and I were just making videos that we thought were funny and that's what we had done before social media so it was just a continuation of that and so just a big rule that we had was like we want to make ourselves laugh and if we think this is funny it doesn't really matter what happens with it online And then any video that I made or that we made together where we were like, oh, people are going to like this one. And we were, we had the audience in mind, then those videos would perform the worst. So it was, (laughs) it was just like, we just had to make 
uh, you know, stuff based on our authentic sense of humor and for ourselves. And then I think that's what really resonated with people. I think that this is a perfect point, which is that when you actually look at people who are celebrities defined as famous, you know, how many of those people truly create authentic and like original content? Like, how would you even define that? How would you say, yeah, this person is creating from a sense of their own, you know, artistry and passion as opposed to curating themselves for an angle or for, you know, a maximum audience and profit. Like, I think that that's the true artist calling is just doing things for themselves. And then it just happens to catch on to the rest of the world. Like who, who would you yeah. say are people that actually fit into that category? Oh man. Uh, I'd say the first person that pops into my head is Eminem. Oh yeah, totally. Who's had a big influence well, maybe in on my life. Maybe in the beginning. Oh, really? Do you think he, do you think he ever sold out or do you think everything he's ever done has been super authentic? I don't know if he sold out or you just, I mean, you just get rich and old and lame. And then it's, like, you can't <laughs> really help your it. your aspiration in life is to get rich, old and lame. I feel <laughs> like that's actually not a bad North Star. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like his music isn't as good as it was, but like, how could it be? He's, he's achieved all of his dreams. I feel like, you know, you, you bring a certain amount of artistry and then it's like, well, this is kind of my thing. And I, like, now I have to just keep doing it forever. It's hard to maintain, but I do think he's not someone that would put out something he didn't think was something that he liked, but maybe, I don't know. I'm not I mean, super familiar with all his current work. I, I feel like when this, this might seem like an unrelated segue, but on artists, mm -hmm. uh, I love Picasso. I think his work is really cool. And I like him more after I lived in Spain and I went to like this little museum in Malaga, which shows kind of Picasso's work throughout, like when he was really young and then the last things he did. And yeah. we're all familiar mostly with his like most, you know, famous works like, oh, Picasso, of course. But he actually went through all of these massive phases that were kind of driven by the women that were in his life in many ways, where he like yeah. went through a dark depression and like only painted in blue. And he like went through a period where he was doing all of his famous work. And like when you look at his entire life, he was always creating crazy shit. And some of it was not really <laughs> deemed as good and yeah. a lot of it was really depressing but it was like totally amazing and not consistent and like to me that is like the definition of an artist is somebody who's doesn't even have to be consistent but just is doing shit that's authentic to them in their life at that moment and so yeah. I feel like the idea of being you know old and boring because you already kind of were on top of the game I'm like well then try harder like be an artist <laughs> express what it's like to be old you know be True. boring in a way that's enthralling like I don't oh, know this I like that this is me sitting on the sidelines with the peanut gallery being like be a better artist well I'm like oh my god what if I put myself out there and people don't like my creativity so I don't <laughs> know I'm a, good, I'm a good art critic so <laughs> yeah that uh your description of picasso uh, reminded me of prince who we've talked about on this podcast yes! before but that's someone who is definitely did not remain consistent and is just like you know some of it's really bad some of it's incredible but it's all like his own thing he records it all himself and just puts out what he wants and uh someone that was able to stay authentic and was still interesting and didn't just get rich and boring and old uh, what about do you know Bo Burnham? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I think he's another example of someone, um, fellow millennial that is incredibly creative, um, yeah. who just creates to create. He has a Netflix series that he put out, you know, handful of songs around 2020 and it was just him in his bedroom over the year. And, uh, it was epic. It was amazing in my opinion, because it's just him being like, what is my human experience? and yeah. yeah i saw that that was yeah that was really cool a good uh covid time capsule yeah exactly which i think a lot of celebrities right now are struggling to meaningfully do 
art within. Like you would think that when you're going through these big times in history where crazy stuff is going on, you know, you have like, we have this nostalgic thing of, you know, my parents' era of the Vietnam War or of World War II, which is my grandparents' era. And there's all this music that defines it, you know, the summer of 69 and all this stuff. But like, there's, I don't know, the last couple of years have just been such a blur. And I don't know that there actually has been any defining creative expression that we have all processed at once because there's too Mm -hmm. much I think there's too much creative expression that's so fractured that it's not like there's the celebrity that defined the pandemic era who is that person Dr. Fauci oh yeah is he as big in New Zealand I would assume not so Dr. Ashley Bloomfield is our Dr. Fauci Um, we have one that anybody in New Zealand would know exactly what I'm talking about. And probably nobody in America would know what I'm talking about. He's basically all of the same appeal. He's the same archetype as Dr. Fauci. He could be your dad. I think Fauci's more like could be your grandpa, but like Ashley could be your dad and he would be the best dad ever. He's just like, tells you how it is super empathetic and kind handles crisis and is like, you know what? here's what's happening guys. It's okay. You just got to do these things. And and he's just this like emotional in a perfectly balanced way, man leader, which is, I think something that we haven't seen a lot of in history and these like Fauci's and Dr. Ashley's are showing up as kind of what society needs. So like Ashley Bloomfield has a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of popularity here i mean there's mugs with his face on it it's kind of the same as patchy where it's like people really are drawn to this kind of a human and have celebritized him i just think that's got to be so crazy to just be doing your normal job about like you're you're into infectious diseases and you've been doing it for decades and then all of a sudden you're the biggest name in the country and you basically like you can just say fauci it's like Cher or madonna or like you just have one name prince Um, yeah and you're the most famous person. That's got to be the most mind-blowing thing. It's especially weird here because we're in a country of 5 million people. And when somebody gets lifted to celebrity status, there's kind of this thing in New Zealand culture that's called tall poppy syndrome, which is basically that whatever the tallest poppy in the field is gets cut first, which is a very, (laughs) a very kind of socialist way of saying, don't get bigger than your britches and, you know, blend in with everybody else. And so it's a very interesting thing with Dr. Bloomfield, because he is just like Fauci. He's someone that is an expert in his field who happened to be in front of the public eye only because we were in crisis, but he is absolutely not somebody who's ever wanted to become a celebrity at all. Like, and I think Fauci might be similar it's like he he really regularly reminds everybody that he's just a normal dude and I think that it's funny when they've asked him how he feels about I mean there's like boxer shorts with his face on it everyone was like Dr. Ashley, the sexiest doctor in New Zealand. And, you know, and it's like all these things that happen when we attach celebritization to normal people. And it is really funny to see how he's handled it. He actually just resigned like a week ago. And he just kind of was like, hey, this has been awesome. And now I need to go back to being a normal person. And you can do that here because it's a little island with 5 million people. You know, you can become famous and then just kind of like, back back into the woodwork and people are like oh hey there's that guy that used to be famous you know whereas like Fauci is never going to be able to just be in the woodwork like I feel like in America the platform is so big that that defines your whole future is that you were famous once yeah I've always been jealous of people that can get famous and then just quit and just go back to regular life like child stars that do it for a while and they're like oh that's not for me and then they just go to college and then they become like a rocket scientist or something absolutely I'm too like my little like tiny brush with fame and like having a manager and all that and just like you know I got recognized at the airport a few times like in our heyday and just like that feeling just messed with my head so much and it's like I'm just always thinking like should I go back to that or I'm so drawn to that and you see so many celebrities just like this is what I do and I have to do this because I was once famous and uh so I I there's always this push pull with my psyche of knowing that that's dumb and not really what I want to do but it's just so 
what's the pool though like where's where's the pool of like if i was michelle interviewing matt the celebrity of whom i have encountered like what would what would be the reason that you would want to be a celebrity uh, I was thinking about it today, actually, and I think the biggest appeal is that celebrities just have license to do whatever they want and be like, which I could also do, but I feel like as a normal <laughs> person, I don't necessarily have the license to get away with whatever uh, I want to do. And, uh, you know, the money is cool and uh, all the, <laughs> yeah, the adoration <laughs> is cool. Well, I mean, like if you break that down, so they can kind of do whatever they want to do. My first thought is, man, if I was a celebrity, I would have to probably do less of what I want to do. Like I would imagine that it would massively restrict or funnel my creative freedom in many ways. Whereas your thought is, okay, well, if I was a celebrity, I could do what I want to do. What, what kinds of things could you imagine doing that you can't do just as Matt if you were a celebrity? I think I would launch a bunch of projects that I don't have capital for now, just a bunch of different movie projects or documentary projects. Um, I'd do more like nonprofit work. I'd be on committees and make appearances places and make people happy that way. Uh, I would, um, I'd, I'd be more outgoing. Like I love going into situations where everybody knows who you are um already uh it's very comfortable what did it feel like when you were recognized in an airport was that like it was exciting did you feel like if more people did that to you more often that would feel like something right for you or do you feel like you would get burnt out the way that celebrities do where they're just like "Uh, another autograph here there you go yeah i no, i think i'd get burnt out eventually and i that's another thing i've been thinking about a lot is uh anytime i've achieved any sort of dream then it's just kind of like, eh, eventually. And then it's, (laughs) so it's like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep pursuing these like grand things when it's like every time I've gotten there, like the magic wears away and it just becomes normal life. Maybe Uh, that's because you're never going to become that old, boring person. Because if you're like the Picasso who basically every time he finished doing something he's like this is shit so he'd go and do something completely opposite that's what kept him being an artist his entire life that could be uh, i i read this um quote in a magazine today it's from a billy eilish album and she's like 19 or whatever now so i don't know how she has this much wisdom uh, but she said in a song things i once enjoyed just keep me employed now things I'm longing for someday I'll be bored of. I love that. And I, it's it's depressing, but it's. See, I think it's inspiring. I basically disagree with everything you say, Matt. Things I I once enjoyed, just keep me employed now. Things I'm longing for someday I'll be bored of. So I had this whole rabbit hole with a good friend of mine on exactly this topic the other day. Both of us are, I guess you could describe us as perpetually creatively frustrated that we both have huge things that we care about and want to do and change in the world, but we, for the life of us both, could probably not articulate them. She's a a tech founder and I'm, you know, a serial, serial entrepreneur, let's call me. And both of us have children between the ages of six and nine months old and it's our first babies and we were both saying how we spent our entire teenage years and 20s just hustling towards this concept of you know relevance and having your career be your passion and that that is the opposite of selling out to the man and just doing things for a paycheck and all those things we never wanted to become and it's really interesting when we're in this little phase where we both have really young children And she's in a stage where she's going to go and work for a big tech company and sell out like I did years ago. And (laughs) she actually was like, you know, what's really, really cool about me going and working for one of these giant tech companies is I can just do something that I'm good at and that I'm qualified for and get a paycheck. And then everything else about my life can be my creative expression. Like I can build you know, a room in a house with the colors that I want, with the things that I like, I can teach my kid 
languages and songs and games I can go and you know pick up a paintbrush again because she's an artist like there's all these things that actually when your job is your art you sacrifice in the rest of your life and both of us are having this moment where we're actually really stoked sometimes to have a job that is just a job and then when you go and do something then you're bored because I mean if you've figure out how to do something, then you need to figure out how to do something else. Like I like being a perpetually struggling artist because Mm. I'm like, good, that keeps my brain motivated. It's that, it's that, you know, good stress thing, that adrenaline, like, I don't want to be in a place where I've just sat back and been like, yeah, cool. I'm happy to just rinse and repeat this exact same environment for the next 10, 15 years. Like to me, that's just the definition of, of, boring like I always want to have something that I'm striving toward and I think that having a boring day job is a really good way (laughs) (laughs) to sometimes you know express yourself in other ways but that's it's just us yeah and I've been thinking about that quite a bit too with my job because I actually do enjoy my job and it's fun but I have like zero ambition to move up and I, we just had a, a meeting with like the people and culture guy and he's talking about all these resources for like how you can be promoted and become a manager and all this. And it's like, why would yeah. like, I get paid an insane amount just to like do what I'm doing right now and it's easy. And then I have time to do podcasts and like all this random shit on the side. Like, why would I want to like manage a bunch of people and <laughs> <laughs> like keep moving up? Cause it would just be for money. And it's like, I don't, that's not, I don't know. That's not motivating to me. Uh, I'm making plenty and I'm happy to be an individual contributor, but there's just so much pressure to be like, and then it's, then you feel dumb. Like if everyone around you that you started with is moving up and you haven't been promoted. And then are people talking about you? Like, Oh, what's, what's Matt doing? Like, is why isn't he a manager yet? Yeah. And I don't want to invalidate people that do want to succeed in corporations and become managers. And like, there's people that are very good at that. So uh, I'm glad that I have, a, I love my managers. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're like, Michelle comes on the podcast one time and all that happens is we just talk about Jessica. Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> no, no, actually it's so in defense of this part of my creative expression is being in leadership roles and not as an individual contributor. So this is another one where we deviate that for me, I enjoy expressing my creativity through having a team and a structure that can scale more than just what I can do. So like my friend who's going to work for a corporate company and we're joking that she's, you know, selling out, she's, she's truly an artist. She's someone who likes to tinker and do things. And I would consider what I like doing facilitating lots and lots of people's ideas and artistry and making them bigger than life. So like if I were in a company and I was just in an individual contributor role, oftentimes that does make me boring because I love leading people and I love creating huge structures that move big problems. And you're you're really great at that. Well, thank you, Matt. And you're really great at creating, you know? And so that's the thing is there needs to be both of us. And then there needs to be celebrities who really are more your brand than mine, right? They're the people who go out and are like, here's my original ideas, but then they end up scaling their ideas instead of through a structure like I like to. They scale their ideas through just becoming famous. And to me, that's that's scary because it's like, it's safer to scale your ideas by having like a structure, like a company that protects all the people in it. Cause then Mm. at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror and you're like, man, it's just my idea that's gaining all this fame and all of this clout. And all these people are like, you're so smart. How did you come up with this music or this idea or this concept or whatever? Like, I like to be agnostic. I like to be behind the scenes in the same way as you where sure you're leading a team, but like really the art is happening by a bunch of different people. All you're doing is being the the orchestra leader, you know? And I think there's different kinds of creativity and that's one of them. And being in a corporation doesn't really like limit you. I think it just, yeah, there's a misunderstanding that you have to keep getting a promotion in order to be relevant. And that's definitely not true. Oh, I miss working with you. Oh, I know. <laughs> I miss working with you. I mean, look at this here. We're doing a podcast. This is a way.
So who's the celebrity that we're talking about on this episode? Is it just Matt Houchin? <laughs> well, I think we have a few different things here. We have if Matt Houchin, the celebrity who became famous and was recognized in the airport, was actually <laughs> a celebrity. I think I think Matt Houchin, the celebrity, is one potential for this episode. I think. We talked a little bit about Bo Burnham, a little bit about Switchfoot, talked a little bit about Eminem. You said he affected your life positively. How did Eminem affect your life? Uh, He was was real inspirational to me, his music. um, When I was going through the worst breakup that I've ever been through, I listened to a lot of Eminem and it was very cathartic. (laughs) All of his songs about murdering his ex-wife and and (laughs) it sounds horrible but it's uh it helped get me through some dark times I never wanted to murder anybody but it's just uh no but like that's exactly the point is that there's a reason that millions and billions of people listen to his music right because those are the the real human desires that might be taboo for us to to express but that's the stuff that you put yourself out there and you're like this is what I feel and like (laughs) I couldn't do it. I think it's amazing people can do it. I still have a problem even just like swearing and putting it like in the podcast when I swear and put it out and it's like, oh, my mom's going to listen to this. Oh, I I apologize for the podcast. No, I was swearing. I I probably said (laughs) many bad words. I I swear in the Nickelback video and all that. But yeah, I'm just like, I'm a sweet Midwestern boy and I like to, (laughs) I feel like all these comedians that get on stage and do stand up about their sex lives and all that. It's like, Oh man, I could never do that. I'm definitely very filtered still. So I would like to get to a point where I'm less filtered. What, what kinds of things would you talk about besides murdering people? I, I mean, <laughs> not to say that you would, what, right. um, what kinds of things do you think you'd talk about if you truly could just be unfiltered? Um, I think with my friends, I'm unfiltered and I would just like to be unfiltered in every situation. Like, I feel like my dad was the type of person that would just say whatever was on his mind at any time and didn't really care what other people thought. So I think like if I'm starting a new job or I'm entering a situation where I don't know everyone in the room, then I just kind of show up as this blank slate and I've, I feel around and try to figure out what people want from me and what people will respond best to and uh, and just try to be as likable as possible in all situations rather than just being my authentic self. Well, and this is an interesting one back to the whole emotional intelligence stuff is the, the kind of core theory of emotional intelligence is that the way that you are someone that is emotionally intelligent, which means that you're able to influence people around you and you're able to connect well with people is actually by doing exactly that, which is instead of showing up as one speed and being like, here I am, everybody. Well, that is appealing. What is actually kinder to the world around you is for you to observe what other people need and then translate an authentic version of yourself to what other people need. So like, I'm real loud, but I married an introvert. I have lots of my closest friends are introverts. And I find that I have a very authentic version of myself that is an adapted introverted version that is just me really presently listening to and paying attention to introverts in a way that I would not normally. And to me, like, that's the funny trap that we fall into is being like, I should just show up as whatever I want. But actually the reality is, is people that you like and trust the most, I think are people who are honest and real about who they are, but also know how to really see and feel you and the people around them. And you can't just show up as one speed and land in the world around us. Like it's, it, it sounds like a good idea, but most people don't have the power to do that. Yeah. And I would never, like, I'm very conscientious and I would never want to be like one of those people on the reality shows that shows up and is like, I'm not here to make friends and just is themselves. Like I, I, or you I don't, because do. I kind of feel like you could put that hat on basically, like that's like a <laughs> character that you would nail. <laughs> for sure. Uh, and it would, yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be fun for me to, to play around with that because that's definitely not me. But I think the key that you said was still being your authentic self. And I don't know if I'm always that, like I still 
and like i'm i'm professional man i'm polite man uh so i i need to uh, find the right balance where i can still feel like myself but still be you know conscientious and polite to everybody and and giving them what they need also. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of one person that I know that is like, I masquerade through life as my authentic self. <laughs> like, I am always my authentic self. Like, we, we have so many industries around that and so much self-help of like becoming your authentic self. But like, who is their authentic self? Like, who is just living their lifestyle all the time as their authentic self? Uh, Donald I mean, the Prince... <laughs> Yeah, like that's that, that goes back to the celebrity thing because it's like if I was a big famous Kanye. celebrity, then I could. And, yeah, and everybody knows what I'm going to show up as. Like if if people have seen my comedy videos and I know they like them, then I show up as myself immediately, and I'm like, this person gets me, uh, and this person knows what to expect, and I'm always way more comfortable. But if I, if someone doesn't know me at all, then it's like I feel like most people would walk away from meeting me and being like, well, that guy's a real stiff. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> and maybe I am, uh, but, uh, um, I'm just like, so timid to really like be myself unless I know people, uh, click with me or like click with my sense of humor. So that's, that would be the nice thing about being a celebrity was, is just like showing up and it's like, Hey, it's, uh, yeah. Kanye West, you know what you're going to get. So he can just, I think challenging question, but like, who are women who show up as their true authentic self in society? Because when I'm trying to think about all of these examples of artists, I mostly yeah. think of men. I would say Chelsea Handler. Yeah, you're right. She's definitely Chrissy Teigen, maybe. Um, just like people that are really yeah. outspoken on social media. Do you think there's different barriers to entry for women or men to show up as their authentic selves? Yeah, I think if women show up as their authentic self, I mean, even Chelsea Handler and Chrissy Teigen get way more shit than a man doing the same thing would. So definitely, it definitely takes way more balls for a woman to show up. As, <laughs> I mean, if we had balls that might actually make us show up more authentically. Eh? There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's something I struggle with for sure is um, even in, you know, being one of those people who goes and climbs the corporate ladder and that you you do that there's not that many examples of people who actually can show up as their authentic creative self in a leadership role and be okay like you kind of are in yeah. a weird way subjecting yourself to this celebrity status as a woman that's in a leadership role like yeah. everybody's like oh look it's that woman who got up this ladder and so there is almost this weird feeling like that, that if you actually become like a, a few friends of mine who have like been in really senior roles in companies managing thousands of people, it's kind of like they are treated like celebrities because people are like, hey, look, you're this one example of this person who's able to do this thing that is not normally, you know, possible. So it's like this kind of celebrity status, the, the female leader. And um, yeah, and it's it's hard to explain that to, to guys. I mean, I, Lord knows my poor husband's heard me talk about it for a really long time, but it's a, it's a hard thing to explain. Yeah. Is there, do you feel, cause I've in the industries that you've worked in, which are similar to the ones I've worked in, it's very <laughs> male dominated. So yeah. do you feel pressure? Like sometimes you may be the only woman speaking in a, on a panel or the only woman speaking at an event. What's that like? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, um, and I mean, I'm also a white woman, so it's like, I'm, you know, a woman who is of any other ethnic background than white is even, even more at a disadvantage than me. And already me kind of standing up and being put in positions because I'm the female. Like I remember when I first moved to New Zealand, I was interviewing with a few different people to decide what I wanted to do. And somebody said, Hey, we have a a chief operating officer role at the startup. Um, we'd love to talk to you. And I thought, oh, cool. I think I had that skill set. And I got into the interview and, and the guy was basically like, hey, do you know how to do project management? And I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that you should be able to do as, as a senior person. Yeah. And 
in so many words, he was like, you know, our investors who are, are all men, we really want a woman somewhere in here because we have an all male team. And really what I need is somebody who can come in and can just kind of clean up a lot of the problems that we have going on. <laughs> like we have engineers and we have salespeople and nobody knows what they're doing and they're not listening to me. So, you know, I'm just thinking you might be able to come in and do some project management. Like maybe a housekeeper. Say, Oh, a housekeeper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am uniquely qualified as a woman to, to do that kind of a job. Thanks. And wow. I also, I, I was called a good cheerleader one time in a senior role that I had by helping make people not a trip from the company. People are like, man, you just are like, you're like the world's best cheerleader. You're like a good mom, you know? And, yeah. and so it's just kind of funny because now actually being a mom <laughs> and kind of being on the sidelines where before not being a mom, I used to wind me up because I'd go, man, like being the only woman in this space, people don't understand. People don't have anywhere to put me. Like I am not all those things. Stop putting me in a box. You know, I just want to be like a man and I do a lot yeah. of things, try to be like a guy. And now I, I kind of care less because I think we're moving into a world where that was very much of an old era. And when I look at Gen Z and I look at kind of the way that the world is going, I think that's going to be looked backwards as something that was the old way. Like yeah. I think in the 10 to 20 to 30 years, there's going to be more examples. I think we're just, we're the ones having to do the hard work to create those examples to start with. So it's right. frustrating. It's annoying being one of the only women in the room, but then there's 30 other women that I know that I'll tell that story to and they'll be like oh my god I was experiencing that too and yeah. you know I'm the person that's giving them a pathway to know that they can still they can still do that like I'm a mom and I still can be a leader like that doesn't take me out of the game but um but yeah it's hard it's hard doing it without a lot of role models and without you know it being easy it's it's you, hard yeah <laughs> For sure. Do you think, uh, from your experience, do you think New Zealand is ahead or behind where the United States is in that regard? You know, I, I think that before I lived here, I had a very common American perception, which is that other places in the world are so much better because I think that when you are solving problems in tech companies in San Francisco, you're like, man, the U.S. is our problem. Like everybody else is so much more progressive. What if we lived in Sweden or New Zealand? <laughs> yeah. And the first thing that I found as soon as I came here was the entire structure is still male. Like our incredible um, prime minister Jacinda is female, which is unusual, but everybody else, it's, they have the same problems here and in every other yeah. country in the world, which is disproportionately very few women. So it it's not different. It's it is still a problem. I think the the difference in New Zealand is that we do have a few really strong examples. And because of that, people are less socially inclined to be like, sorry, the door is closed. They have to kind of be like, oh, this is awkward because you're the only female. Sorry. And they actually <laughs> genuinely feel weird about it instead of just being like, hey, why are you here? <laughs> OK, <laughs> so so like it's moving a little bit faster. I think I think that in 10 years there will be a more gender balance in New Zealand. And um, but it is still the old way. Things are not yet changed anywhere yeah. in the world that I've been. But I like how moving, we've gone moving in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. I love, how we've, I love how we've gone from celebrities to, you know, women in leadership to Picasso. Like this is, this is great. This is all over the place. Yeah, I think um, usually I edit these and I make everything make sense and have a flow to it. And I think based on what we talked about earlier, I'll just like minimally edit this and just I'll just put it out as it is and it won't be like any of the other episodes and maybe it's maybe someone will think it's terrible and someone will think it's great but I feel like uh we should just put it out there it's, it's like this is what we created in your face <laughs> this is the epitome of my childhood dream I am coming up with 
raw, authentic content that I don't have to do myself because I can be like, Matt made me do this. And Matt, by the way, is the celebrity because the name of this podcast is Michelle Interviews Matt about celebrities he has encountered. So I could still play the secondary role here. But sure. I know I love it. And, I, I yeah, think... and it's I mean it's actually Jessica interviews, so you're even more in the in the background. So yeah, pressure's totally you. off. Thank you, Jessica, for giving me the opportunity to passively ask Matt about celebrities who may actually be him and himself. And then, yeah, the only uh, celebrity I've encountered that we've talked about is me. So, <laughs> but you know what's cool? You had a moment of fame, so actually, it kind of loosely fits within the prompt. And I think I I would put money on the fact that in your future you still could become famous. Like, I think you have all the right stuff to become a viral person if that was what you wanted to do in your life. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a nightmare. Uh, so, I mean, watching <laughs> this watching this Johnny Depp trial and just like, wow, well, like he should be on top of the world. And how miserable to be him or Amber Heard. Like, why aren't you guys just having fun? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, maybe... Maybe it's just the illusion of becoming a celebrity that that keeps you going. It's the it's that creative stress that makes you want to uh, to keep making stuff. But then when you actually accomplish it, it's boring. <laughs> yeah, just like Billie Eilish says. Yep, just like Billie. Man, Billy, if only, see, this is why Gen Z's are going to take over the world. They They have access to therapy way younger than any of us did. I'm all about Gen Z being the next leaders. Yeah, we're we're done. I'm we're done. done. Cool. You know what? I'm old and boring, and so this is my Picasso moment. This is when I want to start painting in blue and making really cool, mean things for my chair. Based on what we've talked about so far, all the random things we've talked about, what are some things you'd want to impart to Nico uh, as he grows up? Like what's important for you to be like, these are important things that I want you to be. I, I want him to be able to basically feel like he's aware of the barriers to entry to being what authentic is. Like, I think that in the nineties, I grew up with a lot of the you know, the positive positivity of you can be anything like you're a girl, yeah. you can do what boys do. And, you know, you could be president someday and like, just be your authentic self. And I think that the, the hard part with that is that then becoming an adult, I kind of had to sit back and be like, well, my authentic self isn't one thing. I wear lots and lots of hats. And I also like to change my mind. Like I like to yeah. authentically one thing and then be an opposite thing. And I think that telling your kid that they should just be their authentic self almost puts this pressure that they need to create this mold of themselves. And I think social media makes that even harder because you, yeah. you're like, look, I am defined as this authentic thing. Look at this content I put out. Whereas yeah. I would be super happy if Nico at the age of three decides that he's super into dinosaurs and then at age seven is into ballet. And then at age 10 is like, let's just do everything to do with rockets. We love rockets. Yeah. Like I would be super stoked if what he does in his life is just wholeheartedly obsess over his passions and that as a parent I can move everything out of the way to support and contextualize for that like yeah. I if he's consistent which he might be some kids are that way and he's like I like dinosaurs and he becomes a paleontologist then you know what our backyard is going to be full of places to dig for fake dinosaur bones and like that'll be sweet but I just look forward to kind of adapting myself to whatever kind of passions and direction my kid 
goes in and then being the one that that does contextualize the reality of that like I would not if I had a daughter be like you could easily become president like it's fine just work hard (laughs) I'd be like hey here's a bunch of barriers to entry of what is difficult in the world and I think that Nico is part Modi which is the indigenous culture of New Zealand you know on Sean's side and I think it's really important for us to raise him recognizing that though he will not in any way look like he's Modi his family is you know indigenous to the land that we live in and you know that that is part of his identity that there's his passions and there's his identity growing up as a Kiwi with an American mom and like I want him to feel secure in all of those pieces of who he is and not feel like any one of them have to define him like that's my hope as a parent (laughs) yeah I love that Uh, I love that for several reasons so I've never thought about this before but it is like you talking about him switching interests and just being like I'll support whatever he does at any time it is interesting because like I feel like now I'm 41 and like around this age or even before you're like well this is a career I pick so now I'm stuck in it and so I'll just be doing this the rest of my life it's too hard to change but I feel like parents even do that to kids because I I was like I played soccer when I was little and that's I mean it wasn't something I really chose it was just like it's a sport that I was pretty good at and then I liked it but then I, I mean I never loved it and I remember being like, well, I want to do the summer musical now. And then it's like, well, you, you can't do that because you play soccer. And then I was just like <laughs> locked into this. And it's like, OK, I guess uh, this is a career that I have to <laughs> that I have to do. Um, well, you're making so. a good point, though, which is that also like you can flit around and do all different kinds of things and decide what you like. But there is a reality, which is that you are always making compromises of being able to do something well at depth if you change. And so that's where I just think that if your kid is like, hey, I like dinosaurs, well, then maybe they'll go through a six month phase or a five year phase where that's their thing, or maybe that's what they do for the rest of their life. And like, if they start getting bored or being like, I want to do something else that that's the context. I mean, is being like, okay, you definitely can do something else, but here's the 10 other things you could do in this direction. Because I don't think that kids have that context. You could be like, you want to do musicals instead of soccer. That's cool. That means that you're not necessarily going to be running around the field five days a week. Do you want to do it one day a week? And like, I think that handling that kind of balance of you can do lots of things, but not everything at depth is only something an adult can model. And I don't think that that's something that we know how to do very well in society. You're like, hey, go do this thing and be great at it. Or just go and try a bunch of stuff. Not like, hey, be kind of good at a bunch of different things at depth. (laughs) It's like, that's, that's hard to do. And I think that like, I would not want him to also never feel like he found his thing because he was changing his mind. I would just want to like trust that when he truly wanted to change, that was because it was a potential future interest that he could grow from. You know what I mean? Like you do need to put roots down in things. It just takes your process and getting there is different depending on the person. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see where he goes from six months and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch forever and uh, we can (laughs) interview Nico in 20 years see what he, I mean, <laughs> what he's up to. I would to. just hope that Nico would interview us and oh, that yeah. we'd be interesting enough at that point to have something to say. Maybe we'll be, maybe we'll both be celebrities and we'll be like, <laughs> hey Nico, you can interview me and Matt about how we became celebrities. And I'll be like, that's boring mom. You tell me every day about how you became a celebrity. Right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I think we, I think we captured it. I think we nailed it. I think we nailed it too. I don't know what we nailed, but we nailed something and that's the important part. Anything else? uh, Any other wisdom you want to impart? No, I think that half the battle is just seeing yourself as creative, right? Like it's putting time aside to be like, I'm going to do something random and creative and it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that there's so many people in this world who are afraid to even do that who are afraid to, to put time aside and be creative because, and I may be projecting here because I myself, um, I do, but quietly. And I think that talking to you is just really re-inspiring me to be like, yeah, you know, 
there are lots of things that you can do and put out there and who cares if people like it or don't like it's part of who I am to do stuff like this and I think it is for you too which is super fun good yeah I that's one of my core messages is for people just to make things and put them out there and who cares I had a friend that was like I want to make a podcast or he's like I thought about making a podcast with my nine-year-old daughter, but like, who would listen to it? And I was like, who cares? Like, what if no, like, you'll listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) She listened to it and you guys can listen to it when you're, you know, when you're old and you're in the nursing home and be like, isn't this cool that we made this thing, even though nobody listened to it. So (laughs) I think, so what's the next thing you're going to make? Well, I am teaching my first class in a year in a couple of weeks. And so that giant pile of a hundred slides is what I'm about to go make. I'm about to go look through all of my ideas and go, all right, which of these ideas am I actually going to structure into a class, which is like got my imposter syndrome totally screaming at me because I'm like, oh my God, mom brain. And I actually do this, but I know I can. I just have that good, uh, that good stress. I was talking about that good adrenaline. So that's the next thing I'm doing. Cool. I just put on my calendar tomorrow for tomorrow to try to think about like leading some sort of internal class at work that anybody could sign up for. That's like uh, you can come and talk about how to edit a video or how to tell a story creatively or something like it has nothing to do with my job, really. (laughs) But I need things to do to like keep me entertained. And I I feel like maybe there would be people that would uh, Basically, I'm just like opening office hours. Yeah, and then, I mean, uh, it's, I can show people what I do and uh, maybe learn something from them too in the process. What so. if that's how you become a celebrity inside of your company? You know, you become the guy that knows how to teach other people how to get skills that are going to make them into celebrities. I mean, yeah. that's very meta. But I am, uh, yeah, I am a kind of a minor celebrity in the company too. I got to interview Montel Jordan and get to host. What? I do the, I, well, I do the stuff that you and Matt Sanders used to do. Yeah, that's true. I guess I did have my moment of fame. If you think about it like that, you know, famous in New Zealand, famous within a corporate company structure, famous yeah. amongst the world. It's all just different platforms of the same thing. So really, we aren't doing too bad, Matt. <laughs> I remember that uh, <laughs> video we did where um, it was like a, a reality show spoof where you were you like threw the stuff off the desk and you had like I forget your character's name, but it was like one of the last things we did. It was a yeah, absolutely. Video. I was I was the uh, I was the CRO, and uh, yeah. I don't know that we named me. I think I was just a cheetah suit wearing female CRO yeah. that was may or may not fashioned directly off of our male CRO. <laughs> <laughs> we, we yeah, you like got to swear in it, and it was. And I remember when we were in Miami and people watched that, and then they saw us, and they were like what? Like, I thought you guys hired actors for this. So you just like pulled in like yourselves. Uh, You're like, that was so oh, good. we obviously are professional actors <laughs> on the side. I think about that a lot, actually. I think about um, that part of me that's the artsy theater kid. And, 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 you know, both of us connect in that way that yeah. putting on a, the opposite of your, you know, quote unquote, authentic self, being able to, for fun, put on a costume and express something is one of my favorite ways of being able to make a point. So being able to show up and be like, you know what, I don't have to be me, but I can be this version of something like, I think that that is also something you do really well. You show up on stage as a loud confident extrovert even though you (laughs) define yourself as a you know boring introvert like part of that also is creativity which is not being authentic it's just showing up and wearing hats and I think that that also is a super fun way yeah I don't I guess I don't even know what I would do if I didn't have that outlet in some way like I would feel like I wouldn't even know myself, even though that's a part of me that's pretending to be someone else a lot of times. So it's interesting. And as long as you know that, and as long as you know you're playing, I think that's the most important thing is it's like a kid, you know, like as a kid, I used to play all kinds of stuff, like all the things I wanted to write in books. It was all these imaginary things. And I love that. I love that part of my son. When I look at him playing with things, I can't wait until he's older and he makes up ridiculous, elaborate stories. And I think it's part of humans to want to play. And the older we get, 
the more we're told like, oh, you know, you have to be, you must be your authentic self. And I'm like, I don't know, what if I just want to play? Like, what if I wanted to put on a costume and express something? And I think the key is just knowing when you're doing it and not thinking that it's you. And I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up is on, you know, being an image to everybody else, but then they're not sure if it's them. I love Lady Gaga. I know it's like late in the podcast to bring her up, but she's the ultimate for that. She is who she is as a person. And then she expresses herself through makeup and costume and imagery. And I think when she's interviewed, she actually has a very healthy relationship with those two opposite parts. One is a identity that is very well built, but is her costumes and her play. And then there's her, the person. And I think that you can do that. You can even do that when you're not a celebrity. You can just have the part of you that safely, creatively plays. And then the rest of you, that's, you know, boring and hanging out at home on a long weekend. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nah, not at all. All right. Well, thank you for guest hosting. Yeah. Thanks for having me time. on the podcast, Matt. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm the guest. I mean, Thanks for having you on the podcast. <laughs> in fact, your celebrity who I've been able to interview in lieu of Jessica. So, so really the thanks is to Jessica for giving me the guest interview spot because this yes. is quite a Oh, good. Well, thank you. Uh, always great to talk to you and you're going to be such an awesome mom and I'm so excited for Nico and, uh, and Sean will be an <laughs> awesome dad. So uh, yeah, I'm pumped and uh, I'll try to visit as soon as I can. Yeah. Well, you know, we are next time you go to Australia, we're only like a couple hours away. It's not far. So I'll try to just- develop a business case for going to New Zealand directly and then just spend a lot of time there. I mean, is that not literally what I did last time when we went to Australia? <laughs> I literally <laughs> was like, you mean we have to go to the Gold Coast? That means we have to go to Australia <laughs> or yeah. I mean, to New Zealand. And that's how that's how I got Petia and Stefan and Kyle is we just did a layover for, you know, 15 hours in New Zealand because it's one of the direct flights. Right. That was one of the, the my takeaways with you as my boss, where I like, this is my first corporate job and I don't know what's going on. And then there's lots of things that I want to do and lots of travel and take advantage of all the opportunities. And you're just like, make a business case. And <laughs> like, then like, here, here's what our company wants to do. Just like, you know, make something up that will achieve those goals through you doing whatever you want to do. So that's what I try to focus on. So thank you for that, Michelle. Absolutely. Business cases, they're powerful things. You're basically like, please provide me money to do something that I just want to do, but I can pretend (laughs) you want to do as well. (laughs) It's that good emotional intelligence influence. You know, you're like, this really was your idea to send me (laughs) to Australia, wasn't it? (laughs) And that is how you get to the top of the corporate ladder. Mark my words. Celebrity, yeah.